But yeah. Mm-hmm. Well. Yep. Dare. We. I. Both of us. Say. Welcome. With you to Super Duper Stitches the Paranormal Podcast about the science <laughs> of the strange. I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake. And, uh, you know, there's a uh, an old adage that uh, if you can hear our voices, <laughs> yeah, once again returned. And at this point, I would say the uh, the frequency of episodes we put out does actually kind of warrant saying that we are back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. I'm on a uh, campaign. My 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 career essentially, I think, is is to um, get as little of a life as possible <laughs> outside of work. So I uh, in these in these inter interceding weeks. You can imagine me essentially just chained to a desk in my own home. And that is that is actually pretty accurate. So that's been a lot of fun. Long-time listeners can hear the evolution of Wyatt's uh, experience is getting more and more exhausting. Uh, from yes, working yes. on a PhD to finishing the PhD to somehow having less time after that. So we're, you know... Trying to just make this as as painless as possible for you. <laughs> you know, it's a uh, kind of. I'm trying to take the tack of like it's a fool's mind that works really hard and then expects to work less hard after that. I think <laughs> once you've worked extremely hard, you should only work harder and then uh, work harder still. Because America, uh, because America, and uh, that's never killed anyone. It's never been bad. <laughs> There are no stories about that being dangerous, <laughs> and I like it. But of course, this is the podcast where we talk about spooky things from a scientific perspective, and oh, this yes. week is no different. And no, our uh, theme for this week, the kind of prompt we're using is <sighs> winter slash cold. Yes. <laughs> because we're in the Northern Hemisphere, and it is those two things now. <laughs> uh, we often pick our topics by sitting up in bed and speaking the first things we see. <laughs> Ceiling. Uh, should we talk about lamps? Yeah, uh, lots of wall um, themes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we'll be talking about stories today that are attached by their proximity to chilliness and or the darkest months of the year in the Northern Hemisphere and mm-hmm. brightest in the South, I guess. Well, for us, is winter. Yeah. For them is summer. What am I saying? Yep. Take it. Put it into the uh, black box <laughs> and throw it into the ocean. <laughs> um but I believe uh you uh you're uh the one uh starting? Nope. No? It's episode one fifty five. My oh my, then let me begin by <laughs> saying first and four phantoms most <laughs> that I simply cannot go on without mentioning a little brewery in western massachusetts jake do you want to do it with me dungeons dragons loudness music hops and yeast all combined <laughs> with time to make delicious beer that is right if you are in the new england area not the old english consider purchasing a brewed beverage from four phantoms there's more new four phantoms news Ooh. in addition to having a certifiably dope certifiably patronizable tavern in greenfield mass four phantoms has officially started their Growler program. Mentioned this last time. If you're a member, $10 deposit gets you a super cool Growler that you can use to take home any liquid that they have on the property, even beer. <laughs> um, and of course, if you're not a member, you're nothing. 
for anyone fortunate enough to live within visiting distance, Four Phantoms has more fun events coming up, including on January 14th, which is a Friday, Winter Feast, mm. which is an epic five-course meal in collaboration with Wheelhouse, uh, which is a local uh, foodery. Tickets include unlimited beer and cider with suggested pairings for each course. Yes, you heard me right, unlimited beer and cider if you are under the age of 25 and over the age of 21 in america <laughs> those should be words of music to your ear uh, the mu- the menu will be inspired by and i quote rustic cooking traditions from the british isles let me try that with a different uh pace <laughs> the menu will be inspired by and i quote rustic cooking traditions from the british isles yeah i feel like you put a colon in there the first time <laughs> i'm like russ tick cooking <laughs> <laughs> Again, this is on Friday, January 14th. Tickets are available for two seatings, one at 4.30 and the other at 7.30. Get them. You'll need proof of COVID-19 vaccination to attend, which if you're an anti-vaxxer and you're listening to our show. Interesting. Also, Four Phantoms will be celebrating a traditional wassail at Pine Hill Orchards with their friends in the Earth Spirit community on January 15th at 3.30 p.m. So that's the very next day. Uh, this will be an outdoor event, but not open to the general public, so you'll need to RSVP more details about that on Earth Spirit's Facebook page and website. Is it a BYOW situation? Bring your own wassail? Bring your wassail. All right, so I will now hand it over to an abridged and edited fusion of Peter Moore's blog and Michael East's piece on Medium. All right. <laughs> um. The start of 1855 was unusually cold. There it is, cold. (laughs) The temperatures remained around freezing from January until March. Many rivers were frozen, among them the X and the Tain in Devon. Too cold for a thaw, each winter shower added to the mass of snow, creating the conditions for the story that follows. Mm -hmm. The best place to begin is with a letter written to the editor of the Exeter and Plymouth Gazette. And I wish I could be more confident in my pretend British accent to read all of this in that way. (laughs) But instead, sir, Thursday night, the 8th of February, this is again 1855, was marked by a heavy snowfall, followed by rain and boisterous uh, boisterous wind from the east and in the morning, frost. The return of daylight revealed the ramblings of some most busy and mysterious animal, endowed with the power of ubiquity, as its footprints were seen, uh, were to be seen in all sorts of unaccountable places, on the tops of houses, narrow walls, in gardens and courtyards, enclosed by high walls and palings, as well as in the open fields. The creature seems to have frolicked about through Exmouth, Littleham, Limstone, Woodbury, Topsham, Starcross, Taymouth, he goes on and on. There is hardly a garden in Limstone where his footprints are not observable, and in this parish he seems to have gambled about with inexpressible activity. Its tracks appear more like that of a biped than a quadruped, and the steps are generally eight inches in advance of each other, though in some cases twelve or fourteen, and are alternate like the steps of a man. And would be inclined, uh, and would be included between two parallel lines, six inches apart. The impression of the foot closely resembles that of a donkey's shoe, and measures from an inch and a half to, in some cases, two inches and a half across, 
here and there appearing as if the foot was cleft, but in the generality of its steps, the impression of the shoe was continuous and perfect. In other words, uh, it looks like a horseshoe. Gotcha. The creature seems to have advanced to the doors of several houses, and then to have retraced its steps, but no one is able to discern the starting or resting point of this mysterious visitor. Everyone is wondering, but no one is able to explain the mystery. The poor are full of superstition and consider it little short of a visit from old Satan or some of his imps. Mm Kind of wild that, uh, I wonder how, I wonder what the timing was between when this happened and that letter, because if it was like the very next day, he really (laughs) ran around town getting a lot of information really quickly. Yes. So the so-called devil's footprints, they covered an astounding 40 to 100 miles. Jeez. And we're between 8 and 16 inches apart, as the guy mentions. Mm-hmm. Um, at this time, uh, a cloven hoof was a well-known characteristic of the devil, and this was a detail absorbed into popular poetry and art. So everyone would have had that on the mind, seeing these sort of uh, horseshoe-shaped tracks. I can show you just a few illustrations from the day. Aha. Uh-huh. Definitely looks like hooved prints. Hooved. Hooved. <laughs> and have you heard this uh, story already, Jake? I have not. No, this is new to me. Oh, interesting. Tracks were 8 to 16 inches apart, something like that? Yes, and they went everywhere. They were straight through fields, up over the sides of buildings, hmm. um, walls. Nothing seemed to impede them. They very just weird. carried on, is my understanding. But I like the idea of them being very, very short strides. So the idea of yeah. one entity just like very gently sauntering along <laughs> everywhere <laughs> if, if i'm not mistaken uh this either the uh, one of the writers or even one of the original uh article pieces describes it as mincing about <laughs> or something <laughs> like this uh but we'll we'll see if that's true anyway so i'll keep on and for perspective on just like the size of a stride I mean, think about how big your own stride is listener and know that wyatt's stride if i remember correctly is one meter <laughs> Probably with change. I recall when we were like uh, just measuring out, like pacing out transects for our um, uh, biodiversity collections back along, and counting like how many strides it took to to measure out ten meters. And for you, it seemed to just be uh, one to one for a, a step to a meter. I'm like, wow! I was I was actually abbreviating my my normal stride. <laughs> that makes sense. Why is a, a a tall, fast moving man? Yes, yes, and I. Uh, when I really need to get from point A to point B, I uh, assume the classic Groucho Marx stride. Um, <laughs> and even when people ask me, why are you doing that? Is this some kind of a joke? Like, you look really weird. What are you doing? I will just carry on. Uh, so for another <laughs> publication, Truman's Exeter Flying Post, quite the title, the story was, quote, an excitement worthy of the dark ages. <laughs> And they published a piece on the, quote, foot tracks of a most strange and mysterious description. Uh, In Dalish, a group of tradesmen were so unnerved that they armed themselves with guns and bludgeons. Mm -hmm. And on the morning of February the 9th, set off in pursuit of the tracks. So I guess this was literally the very next day. Wow. uh, Everyone found out. (laughs) Well, I guess they saw them. I guess that was it. They just were like, that's creepy. They didn't read the paper instantaneously in the morning. Check their smartphones. Um, They walked from Dalish to Luscombe, Dalish Water, and Oaklands. 
And for any of our UK listeners, my apologies if I am butchering the pronunciation of these places. I guarantee most of them are wrong. Not because of you, because there is no rhyme or reason to how things are pronounced in the UK. At length, after a very long and weary search, they returned as wise as they set out, a.k.a. they found nothing. Within a fortnight, the story of the mysterious footprints was being reported in the local and national press. In particular, it made its way to into the Illustrated London News, an, an enormously popular weekly, uh, by way of a letter, quote, from a correspondent on the, quote, footmarks in the snow in Devon. It included additional information, which I'll read now. The marks which appeared in the snow, which lay very thinly on the ground at the time, and which were seen on the Friday morning to all appearances were the perfect impression of a donkey's hoof, the length four inches by two and three quarter inches, but instead of progressing as that animal would have done, feet right and left, it appeared that foot had followed foot in a single line, the distance from each tread being eight inches or rather more, footmarks in every parish being exactly the same size and the steps the same length. This mysterious visitor generally only passed once down or across each garden or courtyard and did so in nearly all the houses and many parts of several towns above mentioned, as also in the uh, farms scattered about. This regular track passing in some instances over the roofs of houses and hayricks and very high walls, one 14 feet, without displacing the snow on either side or altering the distance between the feet and passing on as if the wall had not been any impediment. Wow. Now, it's interesting that they specify the hooves of a donkey, not like a horse or just generally a hooved animal, but a donkey. What what was the date you said this happened? 1855, uh, February. February, okay, shoot. I was wondering if there's any chance it could have, but if it's closer to Christmas, if it could have been Dominic, the Italian Christmas donkey. Yes. Helping Santa deliver presents all over the place in one night. Hee-haw, hee-haw. Um, and they speculate on birds and other things, but they're highly doubtful that it could have been any of those things. Carries on. The writer of the above has passed a five months winter in the backwoods of Canada and has much experience in tracking wild animals and birds upon the snow and can safely say he has never seen a more clearly defined track or one that appeared to be less altered by the atmosphere than the one in question. (laughs) So this letter sparked a spate of conjecture in the Illustrated London News already circulating. The Devon towns were theories that the tracks were of a kangaroo, a wolf, (laughs) or another another beast escaped from a traveling menagerie. More theories flooded in. Could it have been a badger, a great bastard, an otter, a monkey, a toad, a frog, a rat, any number of mice, a hare, cats, even the fanciful and rarely cited unipede? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, somewhat of a... Uh, fearsome critter. Fearsome critter. That's the one I was looking for. All were offered. None would stick. This was not the first or last time this would happen. Fifteen years prior, a similar event unfolded in Scotland. Hmm. Um, As in Devon, the tracks appeared in the snow, the footprints covering an unnervingly sizable distance. And in that case, the press was much more clear that it was probably from some unknown animal rather than potentially the devil. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But in both cases, the mystery remained unsolved. Hmm. So what are some theories as to what it could have been? And I'll pass it over to sober-minded David Castleton, writing on davidcastleton.net. <laughs> but first, I'll ask you, Jake, what do you think it could have been? 
I already guessed Dominic, so that wasn't it. Yeah, said yeah. That guy you know what you've already guessed? I'll carry on. <laughs> well, accounts from the time describe the devil's footprints as between three and a half and four inches long and around three inches wide. The marks were mainly in single file rather than alternating to the left and right as the prints of humans and many animals would. The distance separating the marks was small, again, between 8 and 16 inches, suggesting short hops or an almost mincing gait. Here it is. <laughs> um, if these marks could have been made by some land animal rather than the devil. We must inquire if any creature common in the British Isles might have produced them. So... What if it was just a donkey or a pony or something like this? Mm-hmm. People at the time noted that the marks were indeed like those of such an animal. Even some papers described it exactly in shape like a donkey's hoof. However, the possibility that such a creature might have left the prints was quickly dismissed because of the layout of the marks. They figured it was a two-footed animal rather than four. Mm. But, as David reminds us, donkey prints can be deceptive. According to the researcher Theo Brown, donkeys are the only animals that plant their feet in almost perfect single file, Hmm. Um, which is a fact that has led her to conclude that at least uh, some of the devil's footprints were made by donkeys. Interesting. I also have to wonder, because everyone is going for a donkey as the thing that it looks like, how common were donkeys to just have around in everyone's household to have that be the thing you reach for when describing it? Correct. Probably not that common. There might have been some, but David also brings up, like, what are the odds that people were leading, riding, or otherwise allowing donkeys to roam on that evening in February <laughs> to that extent? Yeah. It is donkey o'clock, motherfuckers. Yeah, that's right. Let them all out. <laughs> There's no way that donkeys could have trotted up the walls of houses. <laughs> well, we <laughs> or don't in know. some cases, yeah, we don't know that. You've never <laughs> seen a donkey. If you haven't seen it happen, there's no way to prove that it can happen. Um, <laughs> and uh, in some cases, slithered through narrow pipes. <laughs> God, what an image. <laughs> there are a slew of additional animals that it maybe sort of could have potentially been that David considers. I'm, I just don't have the time to go through all of them here. Uh, I will say he has a very level-headed breakdown of the entire, you know, situation and the theories, too. So it's a worthy read if you're intrigued and want to dive in yourself. But I'm going to cut to his conclusions. Leaving aside the more offbeat suggestions, let's finally attempt a hypothesis. No No one explanation is completely satisfactory, but David suspects most of the prints were left by a variety of animals. Uh, stray or ridden donkeys are likely to have created some. Um, others could have been caused by creatures such as cats, otters, and beavers, or by the hopping, indeed, of toads, mice, rats, or other rodents. I don't really know that a toad would be hopping around at that time of year. Very confused and cold toad. And probably very easy to find as well, because <laughs> it would freeze. But uh, I believe rodents. You know, mm. I think a squirrel, a rabbit, any usually mice or rats leave a kind of between their four legs and their general hops it can be a very uh u shaped track that with a little thaw freeze could become more like a hoof totally yeah we can post some pictures of like a squirrel print in the snow for listeners who aren't around squirrels much get a sense exactly Um, Additional marks, also distorted and seen from a distance, could have been left by birds, which might account for some of the prints on roofs. 
mm. and on opposite sides of high walls and haystacks, but who's to say? Plus, you take all that and add in a mixture of hoaxes, uh, overexcited descriptions, incidental embellishment, and that might take us home. Well, if you have something weird happening with the scope that it was happening, then you can imagine that quickly, especially at that time, that scope's going to blow up well beyond what it actually was. And Oh, yes. And uh, the imagination will run wild. I will add or one mince little wild final... at the very least. Yes, it's mincing wild. <laughs> um, I like that. Uh, David does offer a final what if, which I'll leave us on. Uh, some have even blamed... None other than Springheel Jack himself. Uh-huh. Prince. Excuse me. Ha ha. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and there's even a very recent incident that we're left with to contemplate. In 2007, a very well-respected couple from Shoreham by Sea, West Sussex, a teacher and a businessman, were driving home from a restaurant at about 10 p.m. on an especially dark night. And when the sun was really down that night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, hey, the moon might not have been out. Okay. Passing through a forested area, they became aware of movement in the undergrowth and thought it was a deer. Suddenly, a strange creature leapt from the trees. The couple described it as cloven-hoofed, very thin, and bearded, and bipedal. The creature trotted into the middle of the road, stared at the couple, and unleashed a cry, quote, halfway between a tire's screech and a cow's moo. (laughs) The creature then disappeared back into the wood with a, quote, movement like that of a stop-motion figure from an old claymation movie being both disjointed and angular. That sounds off-putting. Like, cause you think about how things look in those movies, and seeing that in real life would be very, very strange. It'd be very upsetting. Uh, the article's writer, A.L. Quinn, writes, quote, I can't overstate just how well-respected this couple are. They are known personally to me and they are definitely not the kind of people to indulge in fantasies and then make them known they were convinced by what they saw and will accept no challenge to their account and we're left to make of that what we will but who's to Hmm. say if this writer isn't uh the lawn strickler of britain (laughs) yes um but yeah it's probably animals bad vibes and were you in uh the uk at all in 2007 no i I, as much as i do match that description uh (laughs) exactly <laughs> i was not there <laughs> in this specific instance anyway in this particular instance yes 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 uh but there you go that's what i got wow i like it very much i had not heard that before and i hope i never will again yeah um, <laughs> one time is enough <laughs> <laughs> but no it's really curious thing. i mean it's it's a fun kind of thing too where it's it's one of those stories where it's weird and strange and and odd but not uh creepy and like uh anyone's being harmed by anything kind of way or like right. um ongoing uh like haunting kind of situation just like oh a weird thing happened and we don't know what it was exactly and it tied in very nicely with our winter slash cold theme so there you go lots of snow, snow. <laughs> <laughs> perfect well thank you very yes. much for sharing that oh you're mr dr well. shell you got it before i move on to my winter slash cold story should we uh, fire up the NC AAA device. I I say we should. All right. This, of course, is the strange sort of cursed computer type machine that appeared on our show some years ago, and which we now it has essentially infinite functionality, but we use it only to run the pander function, <laughs> which is the patron appreciation neural dive for evaluation of risk. 
which of course is an operation that will tap into the dark ether to calculate which sort of strange being, monster, or otherwise cryptid creature out there uh, is coming for each of our patrons. That's uh, right. So we can do this to warn you as our way of saying thanks for supporting our show. That's right. Today, I think we are getting a download for the, the High, High Liz, Liz Tess of Wimbus. So, Liz, watch out for... Mamba Barang. Oh, oh Banarad. Oh, Mamba Barang. Uh, more Philippine uh, mythology. What is Barang? I can hear people ask. Well, even I myself have obscure thoughts on what it really is. <laughs> As many define it, Barang is a type of magic much closer to shamanism than Kulam and is quite diverse and high. That's my take, anyway. One might look at what Jake wrote and try to figure out why Jake said high. Well, for one thing, Barang is really powerful. A witch has no power over a Mamba Barang. I witch can only harm you if he or she knows you, Liz Tess. But a Mamba Barang can harm you or anyone just by merely touching his things. Now, what type of magic can this be? As a bunch of stuff, it can uh, place objects in people's bodies. That's pretty powerful. Um, as well as within his personal object. Yes. And uh, some stuff to do with bugs. Um, you know, he's basically a professional creep. Yes. Uh, as a high list test, you should also be aware that there are some good things that the Mamba Baron can do that I saw earlier in the download. Sorry, I just blew past um, it. Oop, a little later in the download. <laughs> I can feel it scanning. <laughs> oh, here we oh, go. Oh, there it is. <laughs> um, a Mamba Baron can break the spells of witches and other Mamba Barongs. Well, wow. banish demons and heal the sick. Got to fight fire so, with fire. You got to fight fire, with, or as they say, I think actually the fire was just a adaptation of fighting a mamba barong with a mamba barong. Yes. So be on the lookout, I guess, both with a wary eye and an eye towards opportunity for the mamba barong. Mamba barong. And thank you so very much for your support. Thank we you. Really appreciate it. Yes. We're getting another download here. Focus now on. Bobby, Bobby Y. Beaverton, Oregon. Oregon. Bobby, first of all, thank you so much for thank uh, you very much. for keeping the Discord alive and active. <laughs> oh, Bobby, thank you, thank you, thank you. And yes. thank you for your Bobby's support. Bobby's essentially our Discord uh, admin. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And Bobby, watch out for the nameless, nameless thing. thing of Berkeley Square. Wow. It was a strange entity that appeared in 18th and 19th century in 50 Berkeley Square. Ooh, actually, yeah, Emma discovered this on Real Life Ghost Stories a few weeks ago. Weird-ass story. Sounds creepy as hell. Weird kind of like, uh, seemed like a, a friggin' octopus that haunted this abandoned building and killed people. Oh, God. That is a pure Lovecraft gasm. For sure, yes. Bobby, I guess you have the good fortune of it being past the 1800s and early 1900s. But if you do find yourself in England yes. uh, and you're at uh, 50 Berkeley Square, don't go to the second floor. And you yeah, should just... be free from uh, getting squitted to death. My goodness. A good, you know, piece of advice for us all. <laughs> <laughs> but truly, thank you so much, Bobby. We really appreciate your support. For anyone who wants uh, to have their own 
creature or nameless thing octopus calculated for them by the pander function you need only subscribe to our patreon at any level at all and you will automatically be entered into the algorithm there are also many other perks to joining in on any tier including bonus outtakes uh, the aforementioned discord access oh yes and then above that you can also get some uh, bonus minisodes some stickers uh, there's a lot of good stuff going on, and uh, if you join in the next, I'm going to say five months at this current rate, if you're one of the first 100 <laughs> patrons, you will get the beautiful Belgian beer glass with our logo on the mm. side of it. Mm. After that, if you are if it's past that 100 deadline, then uh, you got to wait a year. It's your anniversary gift, unless you sign up with Patreon's discounted yearly rate, in which case you get it right away. Ooh, straight out of the gates. Lots of fun stuff. More on the way. Uh, I swear I will be freed from my strange prison. And I swear <laughs> I will mail those glasses faster because I am but one man with so many glasses in his guest room. We appreciate you guys very much, and uh, thank you so much for supporting the show. Yeah, let's unplug this thing. All right. And uh, now we'll move on to my cold-themed situation. Oh, yes. All right. So my first source today is, obviously, uh, The Daily Yonder. What? <laughs> it's the name of a, a, a website, The, da- the Daily cute. Yonder. Uh, in 1966, Woodrow Derenberger was a sewing machine salesman living in Mineral Wells, West Virginia. One November night that year, uh, Derenberger said he was uh, returning from a business trip to Marietta, Ohio, when he had to stop to adjust a sewing machine in the back of his truck. Man. I have had to deal with that so often. Who among us? Uh, Once he got back on the road, he noticed lights ahead of him. Thinking the lights were police officers, he stopped, only to discover that the lights didn't belong to a car, but to what he said was an aircraft that that looked like a quote-unquote kerosene lamp chimney. Whoa, what the hell? Derenberger said a man stepped out and approached his truck. This is a quote from Derenberger, whose name I keep pronouncing different ways every time. Can you find four or five more ways to pronounce it as the segment goes on? I will try. He looked perfectly natural and normal as any human being. Duran Berger told Ronald Maines during an interview on <laughs> WTAP-TV in Parkersburg, West Virginia, the day after the encounter. His face looked like he had a good tan, a deep suntan. He was not too dark, but it was just like he had been out in the sun a lot and had a good tan. His hair was combined. Uh, was his hair was combed straight back, and it was a dark brown. And he seemed to have a good thick head of hair. His eyebrows, wow. his face, his features were very normal. I don't believe that he looked any different from any other man that you would meet on the street. But he wasn't normal. Darren Berger said, "He had <laughs> a large grin, and he kept his arms folded with his hands up under his armpits. He th- oh. um, and though he spoke to Darren Berger, his smile never moved. <laughs> he sp- what? He's saying his name so much. It's this hard." He spoke. You don't. Yeah, Derenberger said telepathically. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it three times in three lines here. Um, he spoke telepathically. I do want to cut in here also to offer up that the alternative explanation here that uh, instead of communicating telepathically to Derenberger, he may have uh, communicated through half-realized ventriloquism. Oh, because his mouth was open like this, <laughs> right? Uh, he asked me to roll down the window. This is Derenberger on the right-hand side of my truck, and I'd done what he asked. Derenberger said during the interview. And this man stood there, and he first asked me what I was called, and I know he meant my name. And I told him my name, and I probably pronounced it correctly. And he asked me, he said, why are you frightened? He said, don't be frightened. I, I, we wish you no harm. He said, we mean you no harm. We wish you only happiness. 
I told him my name, and when I told him my name, he said he was called Cold. It was Darren Burgers and the world's introduction to the entity known as Indrid Cold. In- oh my gosh. <laughs> Jake, I had a telepathic... Speaking of telepathy... <laughs> I almost I had the name wrong in my mind though. I thought you were gonna I was just gonna ask if you were about to talk about Ingrid Cold. Well that's an actual first name people have, so that's why you would have thought that. <laughs> Ingrid. And I'm also loving the idea of it being a guy just hoaxing and being like, Why are you scared? <laughs> we only want for your happiness. <laughs> He's like, it's telepathy. <laughs> Alright, carry on. Well, that's the world introduction to Ingrid Cold, and this is my introduction to how flimsy my connection is to the theme for the episode. Just <laughs> the name Cold. You said cold. <laughs> that's part of the theme. It's technically true. I'm so sorry. I I had actually great. recently remembered he was a thing and that we were overdue to cover. Actually, even just now when we were uh, so funny. deep into the whole pander function uh, in the side yeah. of our periphery of our downloads, I did see Indrid Cole pop up there again. And um, so I've been reminded pretty recently that he existed. And I thought, oh, we should cover him sometime on the show. It's a pretty common thing in uh, in this field. And then oh, yeah. when we decided, like, we were just kind of talking about doing a winter slash cold theme episode. I was like, I'll just slam those two things together and call it a day. Your, your contrite disclaimer is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> now, so it sounds like you have some familiarity with, uh, with Indrid Cold. How much do you know about him? Um, you know, it's funny. This is one of those topics, stories, what have you, that for whatever reason, the name clearly a version of the name lodged in my brain not actually injured cold and i guess the story is lodged in a similar way uh inaccurately but still with enough um salience that i can pull it when the when the time is right and i don't remember any which is to say i don't remember any details but i remember that it is an interesting story and i'm excited to be refreshed excellent and i hope it goes on i hope it's not just him (laughs) going hi um uh, so it sounds like we both have very similar um, a similar familiarity leading up till now with Indrid Cold. Right. Also, sometimes famously called- illustrated, if I'm not mistaken, as well. People have illustrated this man's face. Yes. He's kind of one of the first ET as human foe, human uh, interactees, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. He's sometimes called the Smiling Man or the Grinning Man. Yes. And uh, so I'll proceed with this first account of him. Uh, naturally, Darren Berger reported his account, uh, his encounter to the Parkersburg police. By the next day, the media frenzy surrounding the story took off. Darren Berger agreed to be interviewed on live television on WTAP. Taking part in the interview were members of the state police, representatives of the Wood County Airport, the Parkersburg police, and a representative from the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. For 30 minutes, the men peppered Darren Berger with questions about the strange encounter. I'll link to um, a clip of the interview if people are interested Cool. After the interview aired, however, others came forward with claims that they had also seen a figure matching Darren Berger's description of Indrid Cold. One man reported that a man matching Cold's description tried to flag him down, but he was too afraid to stop. Other people claimed to see lights and quote-unquote fluttering vehicles on the road Darren Berger said he talked to Cold on. And several witnesses reported they had seen Darren Berger stopped on the road talking to a man on that same road. So people corroborating seeing Darren Berger talking to someone there. Um, right. For the next three weeks, newspapers in the area ran stories about Darren Berger's claims and the claims of others. News coverage eventually died down, but Cold's visitations continued. Darren Berger reported he was visited often by the strange grinning man over the course of the next month. Eventually, Darren Berger's family said they too had seen Cold and other strange things. 
Naturally, the media attention given to the story brought locals to Derenberger's house, hoping to catch a glimpse of cold. The attention, as well as the scorn and ridicule he was suffering from, led Derenberger to seek medical attention. His physician gave him a clean bill of health and found no evidence of chemical imbalance or disruption. Uh, although he wrote a book about his visits, nothing good came from Derenberger's recounting his encounter. Oh In fact, it didn't just negatively affect him, but it affected his family and his friends as well. Oh, the family received years of harassing phone calls and blamed lost jobs and friends on Derenberger's tales of injured cold. Derenberger suffered from painful headaches and depression, and eventually his wife divorced him. Oof. Uh, Derenberger moved away from the area to escape his notoriety. After years of living somewhere else, however, Derenberger moved back to the Mineral Wells area before his death in 1990 at the age of 74, 23 years after Indrid Cold supposedly pulled him over on the highway. Wow. While he never recanted his statement, he never spoke of it again either. Since then, Derenberger's account has lingered, propelling Indrid Cold into the realm of the rural myths and legends as well as into tales of the creepy and unknown. I think this, um, yes. the Daily Yonder likes to talk about specifically... Uh, rural stuff so that's uh. why this came up in this particular place uh, mm-hmm. after Darren Berger spoke to John Keel the author of the Mothman prophecies the legend of Indrid Cold was linked to Mothman even so far as appearing in the 2002 Mothman prophecies movie uh-huh. that might be the association carry on could be it's difficult to tell if it really happened but Brian Dunning author of Skeptoid magazine said it's uh, clear that Darren Berger gained nothing from coming forward uh, who knows what actually happened to Derenberger on that strange night, Dunning said. Derenberger's story did little for him. His obsession with it cost him his job and his wife, and according to Keel, who visited him a year later, they found him hiding behind drawn curtains from what he believed were hundreds of UFO believers and skeptics, saying that Indrid Cold and his friends frequently visited the farm, often arriving by automobile, for long, friendly chats. He had almost certainly become delusional. Oh, God. Cold November nights on lonely rural roads will always be a good setting for mysterious encounters, Dunning said. Rural areas are always the best place for a creepy tale. It's dark, there are trees and murky creeks, and you are far from the comforting protection of lights and people. So that is the main kind of introductory tale of Indrid Cold. Or anyway, it's yes. Yes, the beginning of it. Right, right. There was a passing mention of John Keel in there, his book, The Mothman Prophecies, mm. and Keel's interest in cold. It seems like it's here <laughs> that the full Smiling Man mythos begins. What are you going to say? I was just going to say as interesting cold as the form of temperature right <laughs> but it does seem like that's that kind of connection is where the main stuff about the smiling man right uh, grinning man injured cold stuff kind of takes off uh, here is some some material from keel's 1970 book the complete guide to mysterious beings hmm. some folks had seen some weird lights and stuff in particular on a particular area by a street corner and they said it was uh, on this corner that the two young men encountered the strangest guy we've ever seen yankitis spotted him first he was standing behind that fence, the youth said later. I don't know how he got there. He was the biggest man I ever saw. Ooh. Jimmy nudged me, Mouse reported. Mouse is the nickname of the other guy, and said, Who's that guy standing behind you? I looked around, and there he was, behind that fence, just standing there. He pivoted around and looked right at us, and then he grinned a big old grin. Three days later, we visited Elizabeth, accompanied by <laughs> UFO lecturer James Mosley and actor Chuck McGann. We interviewed the boys separately at length in the home of Mr. George Smythe, and they both told the same identical story. The man was over six feet tall, they agreed, and was dressed in a quote-unquote sparkling green coverall costume that shimmered and seemed to reflect the streetlights. Wow. There was a wide black belt around his waist. Uh, so far kind of sounding like Will Ferrell in Elf. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, McCann, who was the star of his own TV series in New York, is a very large man, about six feet, two inches tall. But both boys said the person they saw was bigger than McCann and much broader. Wow. He had a very dark complexion, uh, complexion and, quote unquote, little round eyes, real beady, set far apart. They could not remember seeing any hair, ears, or nose on this figure, nor did they notice oh, his hands. God. He was standing in the underbrush behind the fence, and his feet were out of sight. I That would be terrifying. It sounds pretty terrifying. You may also notice that this account differs from Darren Berger's in just about every single way, aside from seeing a weird guy smile on the road at night. Yeah, what is going on? Like, I mean, the specific quote, let me go back to the specific quote of the appearance of injured cold. He said that uh, um, he had... Like, slicked back hair, was wearing a normal suit. He had all these normal features. It was just a very strange timing. The thing he was, like, the vehicle he was with seems like it was very bizarre. It was more the behavior that was weird. And the behavior the was weird. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, his, exactly. Clothes, yeah, his eyebrows, his face, his features were very normal. I don't believe that he looked any different from any other man that you would meet on the street. So, <laughs> not quite the same wow. as he didn't have a nose or ears. He was wearing weird green shimmering clothes. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a much more monstrous experience. Yes. So totally different kind of figure, even if there are some... I mean, really, they're tied together by the smile, basically. That's it. And, and maybe and, being a man. And uh, despite that, it's still cited on multiple websites that these are different sightings of Indrid Cold. Hmm. Um, Kill goes on in his book to say that the same night that the boy saw this tall guy in, um, in Riddler attire... They were, I was going to uh, say, it sounds like a Riddler <laughs> if you dumped him in like a weird fat of acid or something. Yes. Um, there were multiple nearby UFO sightings that same night. So ah, it starts course, to feel to me a little bit like our old Floridian research friend yes. looking for data to fit a desired conclusion. Oh, yes. So another encounter that Keel somewhat connected to all of this occurred in Point Pleasant during the same period as Darren Berger's experience at the rural home of the Lily family. Hmm. Lilies were dealing with frightening poltergeist-like activity, as well as seeing peculiar lights in the skies above their home on a nightly basis. According to Mrs. Lily, we've seen all kinds of strange things. Blue lights, green ones, red ones, things that change color. Some have been so low that we thought we could see diamond-shaped windows in them. And none of them make any noise at all. Huh. The incident involving the grinning man, however, did not happen to the entire family, but focused on the Lily's daughter, Linda. The young lady confided in Keel that she had woken up one night to see a hulking figure leering down at her while she was in bed. In Linda's own words, quote, It was a man, a big man, very broad. I couldn't see his face very well, but I could see that he was grinning at me. He walked oh, around God. the bed and stood up right over me. I screamed, again and, um, I screamed again and hid under the covers. When I looked again, he was gone. Linda then ran into her mother's room, shrieking hysterically, There's a man in my room! There is! She refused to sleep alone for months following the encounter. Uh, to reiterate, this was in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. So there's a shitload to unpack mm. here. Because we're ultimately combining multiple high-profile phenomena into one. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, Indrid Cold slash The Grinning Man. Uh, in many ways, this sounds, to me anyway, like a variation on the Men in Black phenomenon I covered all the way back in episode 13. Yes. Uh, weird people who approach witnesses after UFO sightings, often they themselves seem kind of uncanny valley-ish, and, uh, and that, so those kind of weird encounters. Um, that then brings us to the next component here, which is the UFO sightings themselves. These accounts often, but don't always, uh, include a UFO or two and tend to try shoehorning in any possible UFO, mm. uh, even the most tenuous connections. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, With the lilies, we have what sounds more like a shadow person or perhaps even the hat (laughs) man, which I covered in episode 54. Uh, So to boil that down into one sentence, it's a common phenomenon with our dumb old human brains where when we're Mm -hmm. not totally awake, we may project the loosest possible definition of a humanoid shape into our surroundings and then get scared. (laughs) And then finally, (laughs) finally, we have friggin' Mothman, which we should probably Uh actually cover one of these days, but... Not today. Have we not officially covered Mothman? No, we have not. I don't believe it. Anyway. We should dedicate a whole episode to yeah. our buddy. And uh, we're not going to cover today due to the length of the list I have just recited of things we're all coming <laughs> together. So, Mothman will wait. Uh, the reason I wanted to cover Indrid Cole, kind of like I mentioned in the first place, is that he is referenced by people who are into this stuff a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, in four years of researching topics for the show, I've come across mentions of him multiple times. But always in a context right. that suggests that suggests a more like mysterious, ubiquitous, and ongoing presence all over the damn place. Right. He said there's drawings showing uh, this weird smiling guy. Uh, a photo that supposedly depicts just it's supposed to be him. It looks like just a guy. It's a very it's all over. It's true. Yeah. And it's really in those instances that Indrid Cold and the Smiling Man or the Grinning Man are all used interchangeably. So I right. thought, cool. It's like a Men in Black style encounter that people have had all over the place for decades. Seemingly right. the exact same entity over time, no change or whatever, but doesn't actually seem like that is the case so much here. Huh. One thing, so like the the actual name Indrid Cold comes specifically from Darren Berger's account way back when that was uh, you know an ongoing thing he dealt with, and then he ended up encountering other other people. He said he, the article I, I I cited didn't really get into a ton of detail about his subsequent uh, encounters because he received the information telepathically from Indrid. According to reports that Durenberger gave, Indrid uh, came from a planet called Lanulos in the Ganymedes galaxy. Huh. And there are two other grinning men by the names of Demo Hassan and Carl Ardo. Wow. Being visited by people he could see that not everyone else was seeing and who were uh, communicating information to him directly into his head. When Keel visited, he said he felt like the guy was getting kind of delusional. That could kind of kind of be Fit part the bell of a little that. bit here, yeah. Yes. Um, Sadly. Yes. Feel bad for the guy. Yeah, it sounds like he had a pretty rough go of it for a while, based on all right. that. Which, and that happens a lot of UFO sightings. People wanted to say what they experience, and then it ends up really screwing with their life, and it's very sad. Yeah. So what we have overall here with Indrid Cold seems to be disparate reports that people have just decided to link together because of a meaningless similarity, which is specifically that dude smiles. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like totally different, different sounding things. The three that I gave is the original Indrid Cold one. There's this weird Joker elf alien, and then a right. weird shadow figure. <laughs> yeah. R- and also, Riddler, but and the yeah, right and in the first one, um, uh, did I say Joker? <laughs> you said Joker. You did well, not say he's why smiling. so serious. He is smiling. It's true. Uh, but how did he get that smile? That's right. Um, riddle me this. <laughs> you know how I get? Yeah. These, these how did I, I get this? Anyway. <laughs> So yeah, people, and then the, the weird Shadow Man thing, uh, and the other weird thing too is that like um, the first Indrid Cold thing, he seemed like he was a friendly guy, like weird, off-putting, but otherwise pretty innocuous in his conversation and stuff. The other ones, like one, it seemed like creepy, but not necessarily. It was kind of neutral, but they were creeped out, very creepy appearance. And then the last right. one was straight up menacing. Um, and then I have found others that were like that too. I can see how this is the sort of phenomenon that is very catching mm-hmm. and ripe for you know false confirmation in one's yes. lived experience which is to say all the 
salient features are things that you basically interact with all the time, Mm -hmm. which are humanoid figure, smile, nighttime encounter, uneasy sensation. So like anyone taking those components, you know, you just bump into anyone on the street at night and you're like, I might have seen the guy. You know what I mean? Like it's (laughs) too easy to just uh, sell yourself on it. And I'm not saying that that makes people foolish for doing so. I'm saying that that makes this understandably a very... uh, contagious you know conspiracy right and i had actually i remembered earlier on in researching this as a group didn't i start to kind of collect some stories from like lon's uh, newsletter whenever a grinning man thing came up i kind of set it aside to look at later i searched back through my inbox and found mm. yes i did save a couple of them and they do sound nothing like these also <laughs> except that they include a, a weird guy who was smiling strangely <laughs> uh, i did Look into one in particular that uh, was also on Phantoms and Monsters. It was um, just kind of sent over from some other researcher guy uh, named, I think, Gabriel something. Gabriel L. from New York City uh, who had gone up to um, Hartwick in upstate New York to talk to a Mm. woman who had been who had some kind of like Mothman sounding encounter. And she mentioned uh, getting some uh, a phone call or several phone calls from someone who called themselves Indrid Cold. And so this guy got really freaked out by the, oh my God, she couldn't possibly have known about Indrid Cold because uh-huh. again, we know this, like we researched this stuff, but she had never heard of it. She's just some person. Yeah. And like then the whole thing he goes up to investigate, it sounds much more like, uh, like she'd seen something, it seemed kind of like a mothmanish thing, but the rest of it sounds like just a haunted house kind of situation. Uh, this guy is using dazzling rods and getting like, he's talking about all this. Like it just, it's it's a, a firm believer in the thing he's going to look for, who's looking to find the thing, not to yeah. explain the thing. Right. And uh, and tying it all together in in a loose way as well. I it, I also thought of like you know, instances of someone encounters something they can't explain in the woods, and I think we well, you know what else is unexplained in the woods. Sasquatch. This must have been Sasquatch. Oh <laughs> like, yeah. Just I mean, in that case, it's actually true though. True. So <laughs> when it's a weird noise in the woods, you saw some big thing. You heard something weird. Sasquatch. Uh, <laughs> this is different. <laughs> right. Uh, the Mothman connection I thought was especially interesting as far as the Point Pleasant part and Keel. So John Keel was very into ufology. Interesting thing about him, he did not believe UFOs were uh, extraterrestrial. He didn't think they were aliens from outer space, but he did seem to very strongly believe in in them existing in general. He, I, I don't know if he coined the term ultra-terrestrial or not, but he believed they're extra-dimensional people who like, uh-huh. were all from around like still already here but like phasing in and out of visibility and stuff and right communicating telepathically all that stuff which uh for listeners for the last few weeks anywhere last few episodes may find some similarities with our recent updates on the phantom of the chicago yes an entity often described as being the chicago mothman being cited for the last several years and most recently being uh, revealed to be the unseen ones these beings who uh, yes. ultra dress, ultra-terrestrial beings who have revealed themselves telepathically to some select witnesses so right. a lot of echoes of the stuff that was happening back then uh yes, as well indeed. keel did mention indrid cold in the mothman prophecies and then indrid cold became a, a, a weird character in the movie the mothman prophecies i remember that Definitely that just kind of put that into broader consciousness and would easily have made that something uh, something you could reach for to try to describe a weird thing and could have been in people's awareness more. So 
as far as this woman not being able to, like, she wouldn't have known about injured cold. Like, well, of course she could have. Like, yeah, exactly. It's a freaking movie. It's very war. Yeah. I went into this thinking I was going to find a really cool, like, international phenomenon of, like, a men in black hat man combo. And instead, it's like, oh, no, it's just some weird encounters people had that almost definitely have nothing at all to do with one another. And only one of them ever actually had the name Indrid Cold. And it was probably due to something else that that poor guy was going through. Right. And uh, that is my winter-themed story of the week. I love it. Or cold-themed, which was perfectly, exactly (laughs) (laughs) cold-themed. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I loved it, Jake. That's really cool to have that uh, sort of laid back out, refreshed, and, uh, you know, sort of kicks off another, like you're saying, well, I guess it doesn't really kick it off, but it, it continues this uh, very persistent topic, I guess, we've had on the show of the sort of broader moth maniverse, as it yes. were, between the Phantom of the Chicago, this, is, and, yeah, maybe we should even do a special report on the Mothman or something. That's what I'm thinking. Something Dig like that. If not exactly a special report, just like a special seg. Yeah. Something something to think about. But that was awesome. Thank very, you. very fun. And uh, yes, we will we will be back, I hope, soon. <laughs> Probably. I intend soon. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, Happy New Year, happy everybody. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for listening. Please uh, consider rating yeah. and reviewing the show. Uh on whatever app you got, but uh, Apple Podcasts in particular gets uh, juke stem stats real good for us. That's right. Just uh, hit, the, hit the five stars or however many stars or whatever the maximum number of stars it gives you. I think they actually they cut out the other options, so you have to pick five. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and if you that's the rating part. If you want to leave a review, that's even nicer. We can see your kind words. And you don't have to go too crazy. You can just say, as we've said before, show good. Show good. And it'll warm our little hearts in these cold, right. cold months. <laughs> Exactly. Final uh final pitch for the cold theme. We'll see you soon. Bye. Goodbye.